you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to start looking again this week in verse 28. And as you're turning, I want to remind you also that our craft fair is next week. You'll find that information there. But the reason why it was so important to pray for Ramon and talk about that ministry that begins this week is because our craft fair will go towards mission. And not just mission in general, but Ramon and the church in Rizan and this training program there and a lot of other exciting things that you will be hearing about in the weeks to come during Advent. So please come to the craft fair. It is the craft fair to end all craft fairs. Those things are the real deal. And it will be here uh, in this lobby, 10 to 1 next Saturday. So please come back and you're not just buying really neat things, you're supporting the work of the kingdom of God the world over. So turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 28 if you're not there already. Let's hear the word of the Lord. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's take a moment to respond. Just where you're at, just take a breath. Maybe close your eyes and think over this last day. And maybe just pause and think of those ways in which you've not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Perhaps think of that for a moment and confess those places to Him. And then, Lord, we know that we don't always love you with our whole body, our whole mind. And so in those places, especially this past day, we ask for your grace. And we ask for a special awareness of your presence among us. And not only do you ask us to love you, may we drink deeply of the great truth that you love us. That you will not ask something that you are not willing to do yourself. So empower us in the great love that casts out fear. That we would follow you and seek you. Even in these moments. Bless us. Amen. Well, the greatest commandment began with a really great question. And the question, of course, was, well, what's the greatest commandment? And really what this guy is after, we talked last week 
about the fact that this guy was a scribe. Not everybody wrote back in those days. Not everybody could just type things up. So there were specialized people that would write things. And what they would write would be things like legal contracts, uh, business contracts, and they would also write out scriptures. And the scriptures in that time was what we call the Old Testament. But these guys would not only just write, they would become well-versed and experts in what was called the Torah. And the Torah is that part of the Old Testament that's the first five books of your Bible. Maybe you've heard it called the books of Moses, or if you're really fancy, the Pentateuch. Real fancy now. So these guys were experts. So an expert on the law asked a really great question. And the question was, really, we talked about last week, what is the unifying principle? What is all the 613 laws that we had in those first five books of the Bible? What is really the thing that ties it all together? In science, you may have heard like the unifying theory. We've got all this mess out here. But what is the one theory that really holds it together? This is a question that he's asking Jesus. So the greatest commandment begins with this great question. And Jesus, in his first part of his answer, was a really cautious answer. It was a good answer. It was an orthodox answer. He started with a thing called the Shema. That's what we just read, the hear, O Israel. Shema is the word for hear. And last week, we looked at the first part of the great commandment, which is to love God, a whole-bodied love that takes everything. And so this is where Jesus begins. And so if you're like me, maybe you've heard something like, well, I just got to love God and the rest will work itself out. Or maybe you've heard, well, it's just me and Jesus and that's it. Oh, it's just me and my Bible and that's it. And so that may sound like a really nice spiritual thing to say, right? Doesn't it? But really, that's kind of, well, I just don't want anything else. I'm really just saying that because that's why I don't want to go to church. Because I'll tell you, I'm just reading my Bible nonstop. But that's not really the case. But these sorts of things, like it was just me and Jesus is all I need. But really, it's just a half-truth. Even just to love God is a half-truth. And here's why. Because Christianity, the way of following Jesus, is bi-directional. Okay? Because if it was just enough to love God... When we give ourselves fully to God, why doesn't God just suck us up into heaven like that movie left behind and leave all these other people to just figure it out and love God because that's enough? No, Christianity is bi-directional and bi is two, you know, the bicycle, you with me? So the one direction is you've got to love God, but it's that loving God, that whole-bodied loving God, which is the first part of the commandment to love God, that empowers and overflows into loving neighbor. So Jesus says no to the guy that says, it's just me and God and that's all we need. Why then does he fuse the Shema, the orthodox, beautiful, spiritual way with this love your neighbor bit? The Shema we looked at was in Deuteronomy 6. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't make up. Is from Leviticus 19. So Jesus took this other piece because Jesus knew that life with God is bi-directional. It's not enough just to love God. And why is it not enough just to love God? Well, the second reason is because Christianity is also relational. Now, maybe that, you know, goes without saying because I just told you it involves loving God and loving neighbor. But I want to highlight the fact 
that Christianity is relational. Because here's why. For the guy that says it's just me and Jesus and that's all we ever need. That sounds really spiritual. But the reality is that you cannot truly love God and be isolated from the world. You cannot truly say, I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I've got it all and be isolated from the world. Here's why. Because God himself is not isolated from the world. We spent a whole series in Jonah that says that God is on mission for the world. And God would be on mission whether we are wanting to or not. He'll go find somebody else because God is always on mission, because God is always relational. Because here's the deal. We worship God as Trinity, which is one God, but he's eternally existing in three persons. So from the very beginning and the before the beginning and the beginning, beginning, wherever there has been God, there has been relationship. So it follows that Christianity and life with God would be relational. So you can be the most spiritual-minded person and say, I'm just going to take my Bible, I'm going to go to a cave, and I'm going to love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, and that's enough. And you might think that you will be very, very like God, because you can go hum, and you can meditate, and you can levitate, and everything is peachy, and you've got a really wild beard, and you're living in the caves, and it's great. And your fingernails are real long, because all you're doing is loving God. You think you're like God, but you're actually in that moment very unlike God. Because God is relational. He is in relationship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And He is eternally, perfectly relational with Himself. And relating to the world with love. So it's interesting, we talked about last week, of all the ways that we can relate back to this relational God, the God who is love asks us to respond to Him with what? We just read it. We've been talking about it. Love. And then tonight we see that because Christianity is relational, because it's bi-directional, not only do we respond to God with love, our ultimate response and posture to others is love. Here's my focus statement. I'll say it again. He calls us and empowers us to relate to others in sacrificial love. Okay? He calls us and empowers us to relate to others in sacrificial love. Our definition of love, I keep saying the word love, is this. Love is a choice. It's a choice and it's not an emotion. Okay, you can feel really strongly about tacos, as you've heard. You can feel really strongly after you eat tacos, and it makes you not love them. But love goes beyond warm fuzzies. It is a choice, and it's a choice to relate. It's a choice to, it takes two to tango. You're relating to someone or something with love. It's relational. It's a choice to relate to others as valuable. You relate to others as valuable. What do I mean by valuable? Valuable means, watch, it's going to cost you something. Because things we value aren't just a given, there's something that costs us. So what does that look like when you're relating to others? I'll tell you. We're able to love because God first loved us. So we'll start there. How did God love us? John got it in his gospel and his epistles. 
He says, this is love that God gave. Did it cost God something to love us? Did it cost God something to relate to us? Yes, what did He give? God gave His Son that whoever would believe and trust in Him would not die or perish but have eternal life with God. Why? Because God wants people to relate to. God is relational and He's calling us and empowering us to show that love, to model that love, and thus we have the greatest commandment, which is not just one commandment. It is two commandments. So when Jesus is asked, let's start down this week in verse 31. We talked about the love God piece, but it's so blended together, we're going to keep looking to that God love that cost Him something, even as we look down at verse 31 to the second piece of the greatest commandment. You can't tease Him out. He says this, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. I told you that was a quote there, excuse me, from Leviticus 19, that's in verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is, watch, no commandment greater than these. I guess you can let Jesus get away with it. You asked him for the greatest commandment, and Jesus gives you two. There was a sale on commandments, and he threw in the next one free. And what he did was this, he fused them together, he elevated them, and he saw no distinction or separation because God is relational. And you cannot love God in isolation from other relationships. You cannot love God in isolation from your other relationships. I already mentioned some things that John quoted, like John 3.16 or 1 John 4. This is love that he gave. Well, 1 John also tells us that you cannot say you love God if you hate your brother. So this, in Christianity, that is relational and bidirectional, is so interwoven, so tied up, that you can't just go live in a cave and grow your fingernails and beard out and pretend that all is peachy and you're like God, because no, if you hate or reject others around you, surely you've not gotten the picture of the God who first loved us and gave Himself for us. Love is a choice to relate to others, not just to go have warm fuzzies somewhere by yourself. These were the two commands that Jesus fused together out of all 613. He could have said don't murder, He could have said all this, but He said love, because it's so close to the heart of God. It's this overflow from your whole-bodied love of God. I love what Mother Teresa says, It's not on the screen. I just looked at the screen. I tricked you. But she says love looks something like this. Do ordinary things with extraordinary love. Little things like caring for the sick and the homeless, the lonely and the unwanted, washing and cleaning them. And then she says this. Listen up. But you must give what will cost you something. Mother Teresa gave her life and she loved her neighbor. She made the homeless, sick, and destitute of Calcutta her neighbors. And so as we look and Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself and give what costs, relate to them as valuable, you may be asking then, okay, well, who's my neighbor? 
Now, I mentioned that this love your neighbor is from Leviticus 19. When they first heard these words in Leviticus, their neighbor was pretty simple, okay? Their neighbor, they would have understood, was their fellow Israelite. Who was the law given to? Israel. So when they're told, Israel, to love your neighbor, they're told to love the people in proximity to them. They're told to love and care for the person that is in their community, their family unit, their tribe, their people. And you're supposed to love this person as yourself. Now, it makes sense that you would want to be treated well, that you would want to be fed and taken care of and cared for. So to love your neighbor as yourself was just some nice insurance, wasn't it? Because when your livestock got in trouble, you'd hope that you had loved your neighbor in such a way where they would help you remove this livestock from a ditch or a well or something. I mean, you hope that you can get that cup of sugar from that neighbor because you're on good terms with that neighbor. But then by Jesus' day, several hundreds of years later, the idea of neighbor was expanded more and more and more just from your Israelite in proximity because Israel had been all over the map and down through generations they've been scattered and dispersed. And as rabbis taught and as rabbis debated what's the greatest commandment or the unifying principle, they often expanded their idea of this love your neighbor as yourself to include beyond Israelites. You may be thinking when someone asks Jesus, who's my neighbor? Of that famous parable, the great, uh, the good Samaritan. He was pretty great. But the good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. It wasn't just that Israelite, that priest, that Levite. No, it was actually the opposite of that nice neighbor. It was the neighbors that they despised. It was their neighbors that they didn't want anything to do with. And Jesus says, your neighbor is just bigger than the people you like bigger than the people who look like you, bigger than the people who live next to you, your neighbor is bigger than all of that. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, He tells us, love God, love your neighbor. What else does He say? He says, love your enemy and love one another. I saw a tweet from a pastor who said, love God, love your neighbor, Love one another, love your enemies. And he said, who's left not to love? I think that covers it all. So Jesus is saying the greatest commandment is not just the love God peace. It's to see God, to love God with such a whole bodied love that it spills out and overflows and empowers you to love neighbor, enemy, one another. Beyond the people that look like you. Beyond the people, it's convenient. Because let me tell you, it was not convenient for Mother Teresa and those who served in her convent to give up their shoes and the clothes off their back and to live their life in the squalor of Calcutta. It costs something, but we get this because God didn't just tell us, He showed us. And so the beautiful good news is when Jesus says, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor just as much as you'd love yourself. He doesn't just tell us and then say, good luck with that, see you guys later, have fun. He actually empowers us to do it. He not only shows us, He empowers us. Because a lot of times what we want to do is we want to say, I can't love God with all my heart. My heart is pumping blood and being gross looking. We can't love God with my whole mind. 
Because I've got other things I've got to think about. I've got to-do lists and crossword puzzles and video games to worry about. I can't love Him with my whole mind, especially not my body, and I don't even know what my soul is. There's no way, but Jesus is with us. He empowers us. He shows us. But we want to overthink it. I read this from a site run by some Catholic Jesuits called Sacred Space. It's a prayer website that you've probably heard about in this church. It's a beautiful time to, uh, to get online, to before you check your email, take a moment to pause, to have a deep breath, and it gives you a lot to think about, some scripture to meditate on and to pray and respond to God. Well, they have a blog post each week, and one of the blogs was so perfect that I read this week as I was preparing this passage and thinking about it. Because I was struggling. I was the guy saying, man, I can't love God with all of this. I can't love my neighbor as myself. I don't like my neighbor all the time. And I just want to overthink it. And what happens when Christians start to overthink stuff, really they're trying to find excuses not to do it. But Jesus calls us to this love and he empowers us to do it. Here's the blog from Sacred Space this last week. Until I dive into a situation... I will never understand how to love the people who live there. I am still taking baby and adolescent steps when it comes to loving people well. But here are a few things I've learned when I have dared to enter love's details. She gives a list. Listen up. Love listens to the same story again and again and again when old age or illness has damaged a person's short-term memory. Love looks past a house that needs cleaning to the person who just needs to talk. Love listens more than talks. Let me talk that sentence again at you. Love listens more than it talks. That's hitting me. Love offers presence more than advice. Love can be tough and feisty when necessary. Love has to just sit down and cry sometimes. Love never underestimates the value of a surprise treat, such as an outing or homemade brownies. Love holds the crippled hand, embraces the diseased body, kisses the forgotten cheek. But we can make love really complicated. By standing back and theorizing about what it means and does. Yes, love can require more than we think we can afford at times. But mostly, we love one conversation at a time. One small act at a time. And when we understand that, it's much easier to stop thinking so much and simply start Loving. What in that list resonated and you said, man, I would like to be loved that way. Then we can start to get our heads around this whole business of loving neighbor as ourself. And before you start running away and overthinking and saying, well, I cannot love this person. Because this person has wounded me, this person continues to wound me, this person is affecting me so negatively. Here's where we begin to enter into the messy details of love. 
I'm not telling you, to use an extreme example, to march right back into that house of someone that's abusing you. That it would be foolish and I would never say that. What I'm telling you is that it begins way before that. It begins in your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. To look at Jesus who gave his life to the enemies of this world who killed him. It begins with looking at Jesus who poured every bit of himself out on the cross in order that we would have life. And it begins there and it starts to work itself out where we can make the internal choice to mark that person as valuable even if I can only relate to that person miles away with a space of time with this not interacting with that person, it begins in the heart. It begins looking at Jesus and praying for those who persecute you. I'm not telling you to step into the landmines. I'm telling you to step into life with Jesus and let him guide you, give you wisdom, and empower you to begin to love that person and let those walls and that darkness and that bitterness dissipate. So when you do see that person that hasn't spoken to you in 10 years, you can pray just enough love for this moment. God, just enough love, your love in this moment. And maybe that moment is a few minutes. Maybe that moment is years away. Maybe it's hours away. Maybe it's days away. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to be with Jesus, to look at Jesus, who not only told us to love our enemies, but empowers us to love our enemies. This does not make sense in the world. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment, but it is really bad politics. It's really bad in the divorce court. It's really bad when you have to relate to those people who you cannot stand. Take them to the foot of the cross Look to Jesus and begin to look to them in your mind's eye and see that Jesus poured it all out, not just for you, but for them. And pray for just enough love in those moments. And then you begin to say and relate to those people you do, say, you do see. And to love my neighbor as myself, I look out at this church and I see all these neighbors sitting next to each other. And you begin to say, man, would I love to be gossiped about? Man, would I love to be judged or questioned or bummed out about, frustrated with? Or would I want the benefit of the doubt? Because Jesus also told us that the world would know us as His by our love for one another. So surely neighbor is not just the people I've got to tell you to go pray about because you don't like them. Neighbor is the people sitting right next to you in your home and in your church home. Love our neighbor as yourself. This is so crucial. Jesus says don't put anything above it. All 613, I'm not telling them they're unimportant. I'm telling you that it all finds its weight right here with love. God, neighbor. So the Torah expert, that scribe who asked the question, he was impressed with Jesus' answer before at that question of the resurrection. If you're looking in your Bible, you see that paragraph before. And you see at the start of our text, the reason he asked the question is because he was impressed. So now, Jesus gives him this answer, this greatest commandment. He's impressed again. 
And here's what he says. Let's look at verses 32 to 33. Well said, teacher. Always a good place to start when you're talking to Jesus. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. Okay, remember? This was Jesus' first part, the safe part, the Shema part. This is the part that every Jew said every morning, every day, every night. So he's off on the right foot. Woo! Golly, the Holy Ghost is in here. Woo, hallelujah. Dude, that scared me. I will not lie to you. Where were we? Verse 33. This guy said, you're on the right track, Jesus. Always a good place to be. Verse 33. To love Him, that is God, with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, So he's granting that life with God, God is relational, God is one. There is no other. That one means he's unique. And you're right to love God. But he's also saying, Jesus, I think you're onto something with this love your neighbor business. But watch him. This is how we know he gets it, I think. Watch. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is what? More important Then all burnt offerings and sacrifices. An expert in the law, in a law that's full of regulations on sacrifice, on regulations for worship, he said, Jesus, you're on to something. I think love is a great unifying principle. I think it is more important than all the sacrifices and all the burnt offerings. Well, here, this guy who's an expert in the law, watch. He's not even that far off base either because he says... What God has said throughout the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, you can write down places like Hosea 6.6. God says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. And what God is saying there is, I would rather have your heart than your burnt up animals. Hosea 6.6. He says elsewhere in Micah 6.6-8. These festivals, these sacrifices, that's all well and good. I told you to do those things. That's fine. But what I want, I've told you to love justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God and to care for others. God cares more and more about our hearts. The laws and all others are just a means to expose that heart and to get us into a place where God can have it all. So the scribe says, good job, Jesus. You're right to say love God. You're right to say love neighbor. And he even adds the theme from the Old Testament that was there all along. Loving is better than dead, burnt up goats. He's not reinventing the wheel. And this is so crucial. And let me tell you why it's so crucial. Because we read our Bible in 2014 on nice pages that weren't written by a scribe, but they were typed up in some massive factory and then we bought it off the shelf of Mardell. And we have it in our hands and we read it and we look at it. And we only seem to ask questions about, what does this mean for me now? Because Adam's talking about loving family members and enemies in church. But this is really important. When we look at Jesus' answer, all of that stuff is important. But it makes it even more important when we realize that the conversation Jesus is having with this scribe, this expert in the law, is taking place where? 
It's taking place, presumably, where all these other questions asked of Jesus in this section in the Gospel of Mark have taken place, and that is the courts of the Jewish temple. So what happened in the Jewish temple? Why did you have to go and travel to the festivals to the temple? Why was Jesus in his family uh, when he was young going to the temple but to offer sacrifices, to be circumcised? Jesus comes to this time in the Gospel of Mark during a festival. They go to the temple because the temple is the central place for sacrifices, for worship. And so Jesus says these words, love God, love neighbor. The scribe is said in the Gospel of Mark to say, you're right, love God, love neighbor. And that is better than all sacrifices and burnt offerings. So then, we look and put ourselves in a small dusty dining room, gathered around a table with bread and wine, and a guy named Mark has written a gospel that is the good news of the kingdom of God, of all that Jesus said and did, and he wrote it to a particular people at a particular time. And that particular time was a time somewhere in the late 60s A.D. And that's important because Jesus said these words maybe three decades before. But when Mark's people are gathered around a table around the bread and the wine and they're hearing the good news of the kingdom of God, they hear Jesus, their Lord and their Savior, tell them, it all hangs on loving God and loving neighbor. If you get those two, there is no other greater. And that's crucial because in the late 60s, there is war going on with Israel's and the people. And so Mark's Christians that are hearing this in that dusty dining room, who were Jewish, are relieved and breathe a sigh of fresh air because at this time in their life, not when we're reading our Bibles in 2014, but maybe A.D. 66 or 67, they say, I'm so glad to hear that because the temple is a war zone and the temple will be burned to the ground in 70 A.D. And so I don't have a choice to go and offer my bull, offer my pigeons, offer my grain, offer my goats. And all of a sudden, Jesus is speaking words of life to say, this is what it's about. You can hang all your weight and love on me and others. That is what looks a lot like this God who is relational. This is what I'm calling you to. So even when the temple is no more, even when the old covenant of Israel is no more, hang all of it on Jesus. Follow Him out of the rubble from the temple. And love God, love neighbor. And so this is really funny. As we circle back around and I was joking about how the scribe said, great answer Jesus. What that scribe is doing is trying to elevate himself above Jesus the rabbi, speaking in the temple courts. Decades before Mark's audience will hear it. This rabbi is, or excuse me, this scribe is saying, great job, Jesus. I'm an expert in the law, and that's pretty good. You're not far off, kid. Keep on. 
And then watch what Jesus says after he tries to posture and puff himself up. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he's not totally discounting him. you got to hear this. A lot of times we think that Jesus only relates to Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, really pointedly and negatively, okay? But Mark is giving this guy a pass. Jesus is giving this guy a pass. And he says, scribe, I actually think you answered wisely. So this scribe tries to puff up over Jesus, and Jesus kind of lovingly, gently puts that dude back in his place. And said, you asked me the question, right? And I think Jesus might be smiling when he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. He understands that when the sacrifices and the temple and all this stuff will be done away with, at least this scribe is close. But Jesus puts himself back over and says, you're not far from the kingdom of God and we need to understand he's not in yet because he's not surrendered to the kingdom bringer. Because Mark in his gospel, very first words Jesus says, the kingdom, the time is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. And he, Jesus, brings the kingdom. So Jesus is allowed to tell the scribe, you're not far from it. You've got the right attitude, kid. Keep coming. But Jesus is allowed to say you're not far because Jesus is the only one who brings it. The kingdom is centered around it. And so those of us who surrender to the king partner with him in bringing the kingdom more and more and more fully on earth as it is in heaven. And we do that by loving God and loving neighbor. Because God is relational. How many times have I told you this? God is relational because it started that God is always in relationship perfectly. Father revealed perfectly in the Son. And then the Son sends the Spirit to empower us to go and love God. And so watch this. This is why this commandment is so great as we close our time. This is why it's so great. If you haven't believed me yet. I'm going to bring thunder down on you if you haven't believed me yet. Sorry, y'all. God is relational as Trinity, but dig this. God is relational as Creator. He has always been relational and He wants us. He wants us to love our neighbors. Isn't it so fascinating that God who is in relationship, Father, Son, Spirit, at the beginning of it all, He goes about creating light and dark and earth and sea. And it's good, 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 good. But the God who is in relationship, Father, Son, Spirit, still created man and woman. Did He have to? I think even at creation, the relational God still is glorified and so powerfully displayed in the fact that he loves dirty, stinky us. But we're not just dirty, stinky us because the relational God made man and woman as relational beings. We are his image bearers. We're not just dirty and stinky. God who is always relational calls us to relate to one another as we relate to him. 
And this is what we're supposed to be about. And it's not just at creation. We have hope in Jesus who will return, who brought the kingdom on earth, and will ultimately bring the kingdom fully on earth. And His dwelling place will be with us. God created man. But the end game is not just some individual private garden. The end game in Revelation is a city full of people. All ages, races, ethnicity, all generations. God wants to be with you. Let me say that again. God of the universe wants to be with you. And God asks you to love Him. To trust Him. And then to go to all the people that don't know it and say, I love you. And they say, why? You say, because God loves you and He loves me. And He's empowered me to go and say that Jesus reigns. And Jesus' kingdom is not just for the hermits in the caves. It's for the prostitutes and the poor and the people who need it most. Not the people who think they have it together. The people who nobody thought would ever have it together. God is relational and He invites us to be relational. And so when we look at the, cup, the, the greatest commandment and we say, love my neighbor as myself, what if I don't love myself? I say to you, be loved by the God who wants to spend all time and eternity, not in a private garden, but in a beautiful city full of people. He wants to be with you. Now, not just then. What if I don't love myself? Be loved by Him and let that work itself out into relationships. Well, what if I'm an introvert? What if I just don't like people? Well, I would tell you, again, spend time with the God who gave His life to be with people. What if I'm an introvert and I don't really like being in church, especially not a church like this one, where you've got to see each other all the time and eat together all the time and talk to one another all the time and pray for one another all the time. There's too many others. Understand that Jesus died for His church and He makes His home in His church. So to the introvert, I would say, spend time with Jesus, but understand that Jesus is in the church and you can't just go and be in a cave. That's in fact very unlike Jesus. You can go and do that some. Jesus did that some. Great Christians through the ages have done that some. But they're always drawn back into relationship with others. God has always been in relationship. And as messy as it is, He's inviting you to open yourself up to relationship with one another. Because you will find more of God's life and love in you because it's abiding in us together. God saved a y'all, not just a you. This is where Jesus is. So, God relates to us in love. He calls us to relate to others with love, to relate to Him with love. And He empowers us to love Him to love others with a sacrificial love that is empowered and inspired by Him. 
That's the greatest commandment. And we would do well as a church to just give ourselves fully and hang it all on love. Let's pray. Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, eternally loving and giving, would you give us the power in this place to love and give with everything we have, with all we are, would we surrender to you? Amen. So this is a great way to respond tonight. As we sing and as we come to the table and reflect and ingest the memory of the sacrifice that Jesus gave. And we do it all together. So let's respond to this great love that God has shown us.